Well, good morning, everybody. So good to see you all and to worship with you on this really beautiful day. And hope you have a wonderful time uh, celebrating Memorial Weekend with people close to you. As we start out this morning, I'd like you to raise your hand if you are a control freak. All right, there's a few honest people. Now, if the person next to you grabbed your hand and pulled it down, then we're probably talking about the person next to you, all right? Just a little tip. We're coming to the end today of a series we've been in for a number of weeks called Relational Vampires. And the heart behind this series is God gives us some very clear instructions that we are to love others because he first loved us. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God, but also to love your neighbor as yourself. But you know, there are some people who are just a little bit harder to love. Anybody agree with that? There's some people maybe in your family, maybe people in your neighborhood, people at work that are just a little bit harder to love. And so we need some help in fulfilling what God calls us to do. So that's what this series has been about. It's about loving those people who sometimes suck the life out of us, those people who drain our energy, those people who seem to always have a dark cloud over them. Like maybe you're in a great mood and then 10 minutes with this person and suddenly everything is awful. Maybe you've encountered someone like that. Maybe you can be like that sometimes. And so during this series, we've also looked at how each one of these qualities that we focused on can also be in our own lives. And so we need to recognize that and deal with that. And so, so far, we've talked about critical people. You know, those people who all they do is criticize and talk negatively about things. We talked about hypocritical people who say one thing and then they do something else. And then last week, we talked about overly needy people, those people who always come back and they want more and more and more from you. And today, we're going to talk about controlling people. Now, I heard an old story that up in heaven, there were two signs. And the first sign read, men who did everything their wives told them to do. And there was a line of men as far as you could see. Then there was another sign, and it said, men who only did what they wanted to do. And there was one guy standing there. So St. Peter came over, and he wanted to talk to that one guy, and he said, we have never had anyone stand in this line before. What's your story? And the man said, I don't know. My wife told me to stand here. <laughs> And to be fair, we could flip that and use, use it the other way. It's not only husbands and wives that way. But do you know any controlling people? Do you know anyone who always has to get their way? Do you know someone who is manipulative? I mean, it could be a spouse. It could be a parent. It could be a boss. It could be a friend. It could even be a coworker, or maybe even a church member. Maybe someone who likes to micromanage everything. Someone who always has their own agenda. Someone who tries to take advantage of you. And when they don't get their way, they pout or they lash out or they threaten. They give the silent treatment. 
And sometimes it can even get worse. When you deal with a controlling people, it can turn into abuse or mistreatment even. And so maybe you've been hurt before, hurt deeply by someone with control issues. Now, did you know there are all sorts of stories about people who have control issues, people who try to manipulate all throughout the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. You might remember the story of Jacob. Jacob manipulated and tried to control his brother Esau and his father Isaac in order to get his birthright. Remember the story of Laban. Laban manipulated and controlled Jacob then. Jacob showed up and he wanted to marry his daughter and Laban manipulated him into working for free for 20 years. Or how about the story of Samson and Delilah. Delilah was a master manipulator to get her own evil plan and evil purposes to come about. Or there's a New Testament story of King Herod. King Herod was married to a woman named Herodias, and Herodias and her daughter manipulated Herod because they wanted John the Baptist killed, and eventually they got his head on a platter. See, there's all sorts of stories about people who have control issues, people who manipulate to get their own way. And so our question that we want to really dig into this morning is, what do we do when we deal with someone who's a control freak? What do we do when someone tries to manipulate us? And so as we heard in our gospel reading today, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 16 and this interaction between Peter and Jesus. But before we jump into this story, we need to look at the story that took place just before it. Because Jesus is traveling with his disciples and they come to a place called Caesarea Philippi, which was like the Las Vegas of the first century. All the disciples were probably teenagers and it was the place that their parents said, don't ever go there. And now Jesus brings them to this place and they're up on a cliff and they're looking out over this crazy, evil town. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, who do all those people say that I am? And you remember, they say, well, some say you're Elijah or Moses or other prophets. And then Jesus turns it around and he says, but who do you guys say that I am? And Peter is the one who stands up and he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, that is the correct answer. And he says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church and even the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now there's all kinds of debate on what does it mean by the rock. That's why the Catholic church traces the papacy back to Peter. But the rock, it could be that confession of truth, that amazing truth that Peter says, that confession of faith, can also be the rock that they're actually standing on. That rock was known as the gates of hell. It's where they believed the demons would come and go. And right on that spot, symbolic of evil, Peter makes this amazing confession of who Jesus is. And it's Peter's moment to shine. We oftentimes talk about these times that Peter falls short. He's a little too eager. He gets ahead of himself. But for this moment, he is a key witness. 
and he becomes a key leader in the early church. Very next story, just a couple of moments later, we don't know if it's days or hours, but there's this interaction that happens because Jesus starts to explain what he's about to do. He's trying to get them prepared. He says, I'm going to go suffer, and then I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise again after the third day. Peter took him aside, and he began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never, ever happen to you. You see, Peter is trying to take control of the situation. This is the guy whose name means the rock, and now he is acting like shifting sand. He's saying, Jesus, I've thought about your plan, and I've got a whole better idea. Let's not do it at all. Now, also notice in the text, it says, Peter took him aside. Peter took him aside, away from the rest of the disciples, And I think what we know is that it is a lot easier to control and manipulate someone when you isolate them from the group. When someone tries to get you away from everyone else, tries to get you alone, it becomes a moment where it's much easier to control and to manipulate. And so that's what Peter does. But look at verse 23. Jesus immediately turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus isn't going to let Peter control or manipulate him even for one moment because Jesus is so committed to his mission. In fact, he uses the exact same words that he used in his interaction with Satan when he was being tempted in the wilderness. This is a big, big deal. And I think in this short interaction from Matthew 16, we learn three important lessons about how we are to deal with controlling and manipulative people in our life. Number one, we always need to know what we're called to do. Know what you are called to do. Jesus was laser focused on his mission on earth. Remember, he said he came to seek and to save the lost. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. And yet the Pharisees, the crowds of people that followed him around, even his disciples from time to time tried to sidetrack him. They tried to get him to focus on other things. They tried to block him even. Yet Jesus remained focused on his calling. He kept you and me in mind as he continued to walk forward to his death. People around him had all sorts of other ideas and agendas that they wanted for him. He could have been a great military leader. He could have gone out and actively battled all of Israel's enemies. He could have added to the power of the religious elites. He could have started a political revolution. But he didn't let anyone knock him off his path. He stayed focused on his call. And in the same way, each one of us needs to stay focused on what God has called us to do. And we've talked about this over the last year. We've talked about how each one of us is created on purpose for a purpose. 
you have a calling on your life. You have people that you're called to reach. We need to know what we're called to do. Now, some of you know what you are called to do, what cause you are to champion, what people you are to reach out to. It was incredible last Sunday where we had hundreds of people here at Calvary go out and serve in the community. All sorts of different ministries and missions, some focused on homeless people, some focused on people who don't have enough food, education, children, and the list goes on. Maybe you have that passion and that calling on your life. But you know, every one of us actually has multiple callings on our life. You know, you might be called to be a husband or a wife, an aunt or an uncle, a parent, a student, a church member, a servant. As I think about my own life, I have a few callings that I'm focused on that I believe God is calling me to. First of all, I'm called to follow Jesus. I'm called to love my wife. I'm called to parent my two children. And I'm called to pastor and lead this church. Those are my callings. That's my focus. And when other people come and say, well, you need to do this, or you need to try this, or you need to add this, I have to be reminded of what God is specifically calling me to do. So what are you called to do today at this season of your life? Now, the problem with this is almost every one of us, at least time to time, struggles with being a people pleaser. Anybody here identify with that? When you start to focus in on your unique calling, you are going to struggle with trying to please people because other people have all sorts of opinions about what you should do, what you should be about, how you should use your time, how you should use your energy. And maybe you need to hear this truth today. People pleasing is a form of idolatry. People-pleasing is putting other people's opinions for you ahead of God's opinion about you. We need to be reminded, ultimately, we are playing for an audience of one. On the, la on the last day, we are not accountable to anyone except for God. In Galatians 1.10, Paul talks about this. Paul says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people but of God. I mean, if you want to boil down what Paul is all about, I'm not trying to win a popularity contest. No, I'm trying to win only the approval of God. And he says, if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servants. Whose opinion matters the most? You see, our calling from God should bring clarity to our life. It should be the filter by which we make our decisions. You know, people have all sorts of different ideas. They have all sorts of different thoughts about what you should be about, how you should use your time. But your unique calling can help you make the right decisions. You know, I can't please everyone. I can't meet with everyone. I can't meet every single need out there. I can't go to every single event. And so sometimes I need to say, I'm going to put my family first. I'm going to put my marriage first. And maybe you need to start 
making those decisions. Clarity around your call. You can't be all things to all people. But you know what? You're not called to do that. You're called to put God first and follow him where he leads. So number one, know what your calling is. Number two, then you need to recognize when someone is trying to control or manipulate you. I mean, Jesus starts to tell his disciples what he must do. He must suffer and die and rise again, and Peter can't even handle the thought of it. His best friend is going to go down this terrible road, and so he steps up and tries to take control. No way, Jesus. I'm not going to let you do this. Now, does this mean that Peter is an evil guy? Does it mean that he has horrible motives? No, not at all. Remember, just before this story, he's the one who has the perfect answer that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. But Jesus, of course, recognizes what Peter is trying to do. And what Jesus says is that Peter is looking at things from a human perspective, not a godly perspective. He says, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You see, the reason that Peter is trying to control the situation, why he's trying to manipulate Jesus, is that he doesn't ultimately understand God's plans. He's just focused on his own plans. And it's so easy for this to happen to us, to have the own, our own plans, the own, our own way that we want things to go, instead of seeking God's heart, instead of praying into it and finding out what God's plans are. Now, in order to recognize people trying to control or manipulate us, we need to know what to look for. And I'm sure we can make a really long list of maybe how people have tried to do this to us before. Now, oftentimes what people will do is they'll try to use guilt. You know, after all I've done for you, why won't you do this? Or maybe even... If you were a real Christian, then you would do what I want you to do. Or, you know, I thought you cared about me. Why won't you sacrifice more for me now? Oftentimes, people with control issues will try to guilt you into doing what they want. There's other times people will use threats. You'll regret it if you don't do this. I'm not going to be your friend anymore. I'm going to unfriend you on Facebook. People will try to threaten you to get their way. Other times, though, people will try to use compliments and flattery to manipulate. You know, over-the-top flattery to try to continue to get you moving in the direction they want. No matter what it is, we need to stay focused on our calling. We need to recognize when someone's trying to control or manipulate us. And then it goes to number three. Number three, we need to know when not to be moved. It's what, P, what Jesus shows us in verse 23. Know when not to be moved. Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Enough is enough. I'm not going to be moved away from my mission. Now be very, very, very careful because this is not a comeback that you're supposed to use on other people. Like if your sister or your mother is trying to guilt you into coming to a holiday dinner, do not call them Satan, okay? Just a little free tip there. 
But just imagine for a moment, if Jesus had let Peter control him, imagine if he had let Peter guilt him into changing his plans. Imagine if Jesus cared more about what Peter thinks than what God thinks. I mean, Peter tells him to stop or he's going to stop being his disciple. He's going to turn in his disciple card. Or Jesus, I'm not going to follow you on Instagram anymore or whatever else. The hope of the world depended on Jesus not being moved. Sometimes for our own health, for the health of our relationships, and ultimately the health of our relationship with God, we have to refuse to be moved. We need to say to controlling people, I'm not going to let you guilt or threaten or pressure me anymore For those of you who are parents, it might even mean not letting your kids manipulate or control you. Oftentimes, we as parents are so easily controlled by our children. We need to say, I'm going to follow God first. I'm going to prioritize his call on my life. It might not be what you want to hear. I still care about you deeply, but I'm going to do what God is calling me to do. I'm going to let him direct my life, not other people. Now, the thing is, many of us will do almost anything to avoid conflict, right? I think it's just the Midwestern way. We want to keep the peace at any cost. But what often happens is we're willing to start to take steps away from where God called us to be. We start moving towards the other person to try to avoid the conflict. And next thing you know, you are completely away from where God has called you to be. Compromise is not always a good thing when it comes to what God is calling you to do. It's so important to know when not to be moved. Know what you're called to do. Recognize when people are trying to control or manipulate you. And then know when not to be moved. That's how you deal with controlling and manipulative people. But it doesn't stop there. The story doesn't stop there. Peter and Jesus' interaction isn't just about relational advice. No, now it becomes even more personal. It's even more challenging. And it's for every one of his disciples and followers even today. So look at verses 24 and following. So Jesus comes back. And he says to all of his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jesus isn't just focused on other people who are manipulative and controlling. Now he wants to identify those things within us personally. Every single one of us here, whether we want to admit it or not, deep down struggles with control issues. Every single one of us from time to time can be a control freak. God gives us so much. He blesses us in so many amazing ways. And what do we do? We get possessive. Suddenly it becomes my job, my spouse, my kids, my money, my future, 
my plans, my church. And we start to hold on more and more tightly to the gifts that God has given us. And we forget that in the end, every single one of those gifts is his. They're not ours. And ultimately, when we hold on that tightly, there is no longer room for him to move and direct and guide. Here's the thing, church. When it comes down to it, we want to play God. I mean, I want to be able to change people into who I want them to be. I want to control my circumstances so I don't have to experience pain or friction in my life. I don't want to have to depend on anyone else other than myself. In the end, we want to play God. But here's the problem. You and I make terrible gods. It's a disaster. We don't have the power or the ability to do what we fool ourselves into thinking. We can't change people. We can't predict the future. We can't avoid tragedy. Remember the Old Testament book of Job, where Job is this wealthy, blessed man, and eventually everything is lost, and he's just struggling. Tragedy after tragedy occurs, and finally he goes to God, and he questions him, God, how could you do this to me? How could you allow this? And God's response is so amazing. He says, where were you when I created the universe? Where were you? When I created everything, don't forget who's really in control. Don't forget who's truly God. Don't start to think you can go it alone. Don't think that you are self-sufficient or you know everything. I remember a number of years ago, actually many years ago, when my son Soren was just a couple years old, we were at our uh, first house that we lived in in Woodbury, and it had really slick uh, hardwood floors. And so I wanted to move a big piece of furniture in our living room. And so I got behind it and I started to push and slide it across the floor. Well, Soren being maybe three, four years old, he came over and he got between me and the piece of furniture. And he put his hands on there and he wanted to help. It's great. So we're pushing along and suddenly I watched him as he looked back at me with this look like, why are you still here? Like, I've got this. All right. So I said, have at it. And you can imagine what happened immediately, it stopped moving. I think that's a picture for us and God. We start to think we can do it alone. We start to think, I should be in control. I know best. We need to remember that God and God alone is in control, He's the one who has the strength. He's the one who has the plan. When we start to think we can go it alone, it is just an illusion. But meanwhile, God is still here asking us to just trust him, to surrender to him, to let him lead. Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Following Jesus isn't about having it your way at any cost. Following Jesus isn't about putting your own plan into place. No, not at all. Following Jesus is all 
about giving up control. It's all about stopping all the games. It's about having enough humility to let God lead. And in fact, imagine this picture that Jesus purposefully uses. He says, what this looks like is you picking up a cross every day. It doesn't look like you sitting on a throne. It doesn't look like you being the dictator of the world. No, it looks a whole lot more like you picking up a cross, which is an instrument of death, and denying yourself. Starting to say, it doesn't so much matter what I think. No, it matters what God thinks. You see, every day we are called to surrender. Every day we are called to surrender control. What would it look like for you to surrender your marriage, to surrender your kids, to surrender your job, to surrender your bank account, to surrender the church, to surrender your own opinions, really to surrender your whole life, and every day pick up your cross and put your own self to death. Give up the idea once and for all that you can be God. You know what? You can't change your spouse, but God can. You can't perfectly dictate your kid's future, but God can. You can't control and anticipate every curveball, every tragedy, every problem that might come up along the way, but God can. And God promises to walk with you every single step of the way. And not only that, he promises to work all things for good, ultimately. So maybe today what you need to say is, God, I'm going to stop trying to take your place. I'm going to stop trying to steal your seat. And I invite you to come and lead in my life. I want you to take back control. God, I'm going to stop trying to take your place. I'm going to invite you to come back and be my leader and my guide. I want you to take control of my life. And that means every single relationship. It means every interaction. It means every detail. It means every plan, every worry, every care, and every single moment. So what is God calling you to surrender today? What is that area of your life that you're holding on to too tightly? Where do you need God to come and lead you today? Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for your power and your grace for how big you are, for how amazing you are, how you gift us so many blessings, how you walk with us every step of the way. But God, you know every one of us here struggles with control issues. Every single one of us here tries to hold too tightly to the things that you give us 
Every one of us here struggles with being inflexible, with guilting others, trying to manipulate others. God, shine a bright light on those things in our life today. Show us where we need to surrender to you. And then, God, keep us focused on what you've called us to do and be. Help us to walk clearly and confidently in the call that you've put on our life. Help us to know when not to be moved so that we can continue to serve you and impact people for you and ultimately point people towards a saving relationship in you. God, today we pray for all those in our church community and beyond who are dealing with the loss of a loved one or other valleys or struggles in their life. God, we ask that you would wrap your loving arms around them and use us as the body of Christ to reach out and to lift them up and to bring them love and peace. God, we also pray for our ministry partners this week, Redeemer Lutheran Church in Minneapolis and Peace Rehabilitation Center in Nepal. God, we ask that you bless these ministries, that you give them strength and courage to live out their calling, and that you would use them to share the everlasting love of Jesus in all that they say and do. And so, God, we trust all these prayers to your care in the powerful name of Jesus, and now we join together in praying the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.